Hallelujah. You know, we need to remember and realize that the Bible is not a lost art. In the year of 2023, people don't really carry Bibles anymore. We do everything on our phone. But that doesn't mean that the Bible is not important. So tonight, we're going to talk about how you get to know God through prosperity. Everybody wants to prosper, right? We all want to prosper. We know that knowing God is the only way to prosper. And these elements that we're going to talk about tonight will help you understand how you can prosper and what God does in and through your life for you to prosper. So we're going to start out right here. The Bible is a way to get to know God and develop relationship with Jesus. The person or persons or people that you hang around with, that you have the closest relationship with, is where you're going to intake the knowledge that you use to make decisions. But we need to make sure that the decisions that we're making are from people that know God. In Psalm 1, and let's read Psalm 1 here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinner in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Who are your friends? Who do you get your information from? Do you get it from God? We all say, well, we're Christians, and I rely on God, and I trust God, and I need God. But then you make the decision, and you're thinking, where was God in that decision? And you think you've got to do things on your own. But let's remember again that social distancing, as we learned in the pandemic, social distancing was to keep a good measurable distance away from people that might have been infected. And in the same way, we're not supposed to be unhealthy with worldly habits that could become detrimental to our relationship with Christ. So I say it's this. It's a spiritual social distance. We ought to be in the world, but not to be of it. So let's be reminded again of what we just read. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Think about who you, who you rely on when you need help or when you get information. Whatever he does shall prosper. That's got to be good advice. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's think about that. Because the Bible is a map. It's a map of hope for the hopeless, a healing prescription for the sick. Downhearted and confused, we need the Bible. It's a confirmation for the righteous, joy for the happy, and inspiration for the lost. It's a solid establishment for the found. And in all that excitement... Human nature of often we ignore the value and the need to ingest and to digest the nourishment of the word. So tonight we're going to visit some elementary places about believing and trusting God. You know, I talked about the Bible as a map. You ever gone to Disneyland, they give you this little map when you go there. And this map's just got all this cute, colorful stuff on it and trees and rides and whatever. And you have to figure out where you are. And in everything you go, in all the different worlds and lands, small world and this land and that land and Wonderland and Foreverland and all these lands in Disneyland you can go to, you have to have a map to get there. 
If you want to go anywhere in the United States, you have to read the map to get there. Well, if you want to go anywhere with Christ, he's got a map for you. This map, though, will get you out of any circumstance. Amen. Amen. If you go to Disneyland and you're reading that map, it's only going to keep you within that circumference of Disneyland. If you're going anywhere in the United States, you use a map of the United States, it's only going to keep in the circumference of the United States. And no matter what it is you're going through, if you go to Disneyland or you go anywhere else in the world, whatever it is you're going through, that problem is going to go with you. And when you get ready to leave Disneyland or when you get ready to go home, that problem is still going to be with you. But you read this map and it will pull you up and pull you out of whatever circumstance or situation that you're in and put you in a whole new place for you to start all over again for Christ to live in your life. Amen. Let's give glory to God for his Bible. We're so grateful that we have the Bible. We have the Bible to lead and guide us. So let's talk about this. God is for us. God is with us. And there are some vast benefits of knowing what the Bible really says. Because often we quote stuff. That we, we quote stuff that we hear. But we're not sure that it's even in the Bible. And we quote stuff that we know, but we don't even know where it is in the Bible. So tonight I want to inspire and equip you with God's word and with God's truth. Because you know you need the truth of God. The goal is for you not to only know what the word says, but to know where it says what you need to know. It's one thing to join in the adulation we just did. We clapped, oh, we, we joined in the adulation for something that sounds good. We join in the adulation for something that, that we hear. But it's another thing to have a scripture to back it up. Because I can stand up here and I can tell you all kinds of stuff that sounds great, but you don't know. Is it in the Bible or is it not in the Bible? Or does it just sound good? You need to challenge what, what comes into your mind, what comes into your heart. Is that in the Word of God? It sounds really good, but is it in the Word of God? See, without knowing the Word of God, your ability to persevere and prosper in your faith is going to fade away. Your ability. So let's talk about this. You need to prosper and you need to have ability. Prosper and ability. Both of those things come from God. We try and do things on our own. But reading the word, we don't, have the, we don't have the ability to prosper on our own. We don't have the ability to prosper without God's help. Prospering may sound as if we've got status. Oh, that person is very prosperous. Oh, they've prospered in that. And they've prospered in this. And we, we give this status and statutes. And we give these things to people in our mind that we think have prospered. According to what? According to whose standards? We think prospering has a tone of recognition. Oh, well, I've prospered, so they definitely will receive and accept me. It's like, really? What does prosper really mean? Prosper means you have the ability to recognize that God is in all things that we do. First of all, God said he's not going to share his glory. So someone that you call prosperous, are you calling them prosperous because they look right, they sound right, they smell right, they do right, they drive the right car, they have the right job, they go the right places. That is not prospering. And when you take God's definition of prosper, and you put it on another person, God said, I'm not going to share my glory with somebody else. I am the Lord. That is my name. 
I will not give my glory to another. The glory of anything goes to God. He will take you from glory to glory, but he doesn't give you glory to glory. There's the difference. There is the difference. So let's understand this. If we don't understand that our ability to prosper comes from God, then we will be the contributor of our own hindrances. Therefore, keep everything in the perspective that God is in control and he is the one that is able. Say this with me. God is able and God's in control. We are limited, but he is not. You see, our limitations are only to remind us that we should and we could entrust all things to Christ. Unfortunately, strong-willed people, what do you call them? They're strong-willed, they're bullheaded, they're stubborn, they're bold. You know, we all have somebody like that in our life, in our family, where we work or whatever. Of course, it's never us that's strong-headed, bullheaded, bold, hard-headed, knucklehead, whatever you want to call it. Those type people, them... They think that they can prosper on their own, but they need to know that they can't. Unfortunately, they find these things out the hard way because they try and do for themselves what only Jesus can do in our lives. Our best efforts will never measure up to the fulfillment of what Jesus can do. Our best efforts will never measure up to the fulfillment of what Christ has made us for. Our best efforts will cause frustration and they cause confusion. Our best efforts, because our best efforts are lies. If you tell yourself that you can do something and you try and accomplish it outside of Christ, you're lying and that's your best effort. You see, let me tell you something. Lies can't stand up to the truth. And that's why you need to make sure who you're listening to and who's giving you information. Because the best lie that there is cannot stand up to the truth. Satan presented lies to Jesus. Can you fathom that? Satan had the nerve to lie to Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And Satan came along with all this deception. But Jesus constantly retorted him and constantly dispelled the lies with the truth. Because the enemy, he will lie to you without you even knowing that it's him talking to you. But you've got to be able to hear that, know that, and dispel the truth. The lies that we tell ourselves, we've got to have the truth. This is where we've got to have the ability. Because you're going to hear people tell you these lies if you haven't already told them to yourself. You've got to have the truth to dispel it. The lie is this. I tried God going to church, but it didn't work for me. Heard that? Said that? Here's the truth. When you hear that, you need to tell the enemy, your friend, your brother, your cousin, or your mama, or whoever it is. The truth is, we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord to those who are called according to his purpose, and we will prosper through our circumstance and our situation. Okay, we get that. Heard this? Said this? I'm too messed up for God to help me. Mm-hmm. We've heard it or we've said it. But you dispel that lie with the truth. God, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And without me, you can't do anything. The ability to prosper comes from God. 
not from ourselves. Without him, we can't do anything. We can never be too messed up for him because he is the only one that can make us who we are. He created us. And whatever mess that we're in, we are not in it by ourselves. He's right there working again, all things together for our good. Yes, sir. But then there's this. Well, here's the next lie. God let me down. And if he were who everyone says, he wouldn't let this happen to me. Really? Dispel that lie with the truth. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our Creator, the Holy Spirit, the God in three, we know that he loves us, he's created us, and he is the only one that can help us prosper in our ability, all ability that we have. We need to get on our knees, and when we go through these things and we dispel these lies, we can bow our head, we can bow our knee, and we can pray this prayer from Psalm 40. It says, I, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps, and he put a new song in my mouth. Hallelujah. You see, we need the word of God so that we can know these things, so that we can prosper in our ability. If we don't have the word of God, then it is true that seven days without reading the Bible makes one week. I'll hold it there for a second. Some of you get it, and some of you will get it. Seven days without reading the Bible makes one week. Got it? So which week are you? <laughs> Seven days without reading the Bible will make one week. It'll make you weak because you haven't bent your knees, and it'll be a week that you haven't read the Bible, for those of you that didn't get it. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You see, it's our own human effort that gets us in this mess. The truth of Scripture is, will require us to dispel the charges and the excuses of resulting in human inability. It's, God abil it's God's ability that we have to rely on, that we have to depend on. God demonstrates his trust and gives us mobility to keep on keeping on. So once we understand we can prosper with ability, then we'll... Let's just prosper with abundance. Prosperity and abundance. Prosperity and abundance. Is it money? Is it clothes? Oh, girl, it's got to be shoes. Tools? Cars? How many monitors can you work off of at one time? Is that abundance? That's not what God's word says abundance is. You see, too often we confuse prosperity with materialism and we're admonished not to covet that's one of the ten commandments not to covet thy neighbor's goods we're admonished not to covet we're admonished not to want or to try and keep up with the joneses who are they anyway and i'm sorry if there's anybody here whose last name is jones i haven't met you yet so i'm in good place because you don't have anything that i want yet until i meet you but we've, we've got to get out of that mode where we've got to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, looking over the fence. Oh, ooh, look what they just got. Let's go get one. Like, really? You don't need that. 
Abundance comes from God. Abundance is not materialism. You see, true abundance doesn't come from our efforts or pursuit of getting. Jesus is all the abundance that we could ever want or need. It's not get all you can and, and then can all you get and then sit on the can. That's not what abundance is. Abundance is from the Lord. God wants you to have abundance. He told us that. But he said that he is the one that can provide that. He said that in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God wants you to be abundant. Turn to somebody and tell them that. God wants you to be abundant. God wants us to live in abundance. God has provided abundance for us. When you think about it, God has provided so much abundance for us. We have the stars, the moon, the sun. We've got the trees. We've got everything that we need is right here because God knew before he created us what we were going to need, and he provided it for us so that we could have all things to enjoy according to his word. Amen? I've come that you might have life and you have it more abundantly. Well, do you have it? Well, yeah, so our, our brain automatically goes back to those material things. Well, I don't have that. And no, no, that's not what it is. Abundance has nothing to do with how much stuff we can acquire because stuff, stuff can give you grief. Stuff has to be protected. It has to be insured. It has to be kept up. Stuff can be stuffy. Those who have too much stuff take God for granted and disrespect his blessings. What? You have so much stuff, you can't get the cars in the garage. So the car stays out in the elements and gets destroyed by the elements because you have stuff in the garage. But you're living in abundance, and so you look prosperous. Not really. Not really. Not really at all. Because moths and rust and deterioration are agents of God to prevent the misappropriation of things. God allows us to acquire things, yes. But he doesn't mean for us to acquire them so much that we're misappropriating them and they're just getting full of dust and they're deteriorating and we're not taking care of them. So you see, the consequences of neglect are very obvious. It's not wise if you're, not, if you're aspiring to get things. It's not wise if you're aspiring to get things such as a salary increase, a luxury car, a new relationship, an extravagant vacation. Those are not the things that we as Christians are supposed to be aspiring to. Those things don't enhance your life with abundance. Take advantage of what Jesus has to offer because the sum of abundance has to do with being content and being considerate. And when you're content and when you're considerate, the character qualities of Christ will be illustrated in your life. And God will bless you with favor. His word in Ephesians 3 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. That's how God will bless you abundantly because he is the one that will be able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. That is mind-blowing. Have you ever had that prayer that you didn't pray to God because you didn't think he could answer it, you didn't think he would answer it, you didn't think you were worthy, or you thought, eh, that's too much to ask of God? 
and he answered a prayer that you didn't pray. That's the abundance of God. He loves you. He knows you. He is the one that will provide for you. He will provide the abundance that you need in your life. Those unanswered prayers, they're unanswered, they're unprayed, and then suddenly you are humbled because God answered a prayer that you never prayed. I've experienced the abundance of Christ like that in circumstances and situations, and I'm telling you, it is humbling. It's like, God, how did you know? It's like, really? <laughs> really? It's like when you do something as a little kid and your mom catches you. We all know the story. They all say moms always have eyes in the back of their head because, like, how do they know what's going on? Well, let me tell you how moms know how those things. You're driving in a car. You got, how many of you have junior high school age kids? Junior high, maybe a little younger, maybe, maybe fifth grade to seventh grade kids. You put them in the back seat of the car, and you know with kids, you never go anywhere with one. You always go somewhere with some. You put them in the back of the car, which is what, maybe three feet away? And you're driving, and oh my gosh, they are yapping away like you're not even there, and you're just like dumbo ears, like, mm, and you can't respond because you don't want them to be quiet, but you're just taking all this stuff in, like, oh my gosh, how do I deal with this? Well, God knows all of our thoughts. So those prayers that you don't pray, he wants to bless you abundantly. And that's why some of those prayers, it's like, they didn't pray that, but you know what? I really want them to have it. Bless my child. Bless my daughter. Bless my son. God blesses you with prayers that you don't even have to ask for because he will bless you exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask and even think. need things you need Jesus Jesus said come to me and I will give you rest the peace you want he has it in abundance the peace you want can you can you say that with me he has it in abundance yes he does the love you need he has it that's right. The healing you need, he has it. The prospering you want, he has it. Prosper in the name of the Lord. He is peace. He is love. He is healing. He is our God. We can prosper with ability, his ability. We can prosper with abundance, his abundance. And we can prosper in our attitude. Oh, boy. See, when we talk about prospering with ability, you know, that's just stuff we do. We talk about prospering with abundance, yeah, that's still stuff we do. But now we're going to talk about prospering and attitude. Yeah, that's sort of what we do, but it's more so how we act. And it's more so how we think. And it, more than anything, affects people around us in a positive or negative way, depending on if we're truly prospering according to the will of God 
or for prospering according to the way of the world. And you see, we are in the world, but we are not supposed to be of it. And so our attitude is supposed to be that of Christ. And when you're learning to get to know God through the map that's getting you out of every circumstance and situation, your attitude will change. First of all, this is going to sound a little different, but you need to have an attitude. It's like, what? You do. You need to have an attitude. Tell somebody, you know, you need to have an attitude. Don't say it with an attitude. Just tell them that they need to have an attitude. And our attitude is supposed to be that of Christ. Our attitude is supposed to be that of giving. Our attitude is supposed to be that of forgiveness. Our attitude is supposed to be that of joy. Our attitude is supposed to be that of kindness and generosity and giving. That's what our attitude is supposed to be. And when you get to know God and you start prospering, you begin to have a new attitude. Because nobody will prosper with a bad attitude. Nobody. And everybody here has an attitude. And everybody here, given the right situation, given the right time, you know where I'm going, given the right situation, given the right time, the right circumstance, the right everything, has a bad attitude. Even in church. I was watching Judge Judy the other day. And these two men were in there, and they were suing each other because they were duking it out in the back of the church, and the ushers couldn't get them separated. I'm thinking, this was going on in a church? You see, when we get to church, we become prosperous. But there's that attitude that really is who you are. And sometimes we can't shrug off that person that we really are, and they just kind of hang out with us. And there we go, given the right attitude at the right time, in the right place, or the right person, and here comes that bad attitude that you were trying to conceal, that you were trying to bury, that you were trying to get rid of. See, when you have a bad attitude, you can wind up with the bad attitude about God. And nobody can prosper with a bad attitude. And when you look bad with your bad attitude, you don't make him look bad. You're the only one that looks bad. How many times have we seen on these reality shows, these people that are just doing things they shouldn't be doing, and then at the end, when they have just really wrecked havoc, they say, well, you know I'm a Christian. It's like, oh, gosh, please don't say that. Please don't say that. Please don't say that because you are not representing Christ right now. But we all get into situations where we are not representing Christ right now. No one will prosper with a bad attitude. But when you have a bad attitude about God, you don't make him look bad. Only you look bad because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will forgive you, and he will love you back into the fold, and he has grace, and he has mercy, and he will give you all of these things. You see, it's kind of like when we were talking about abundance, when we talk about 
having a bad attitude. We have a bad, well, I'm having a bad day. So that should just settle it. You should just accept my bad attitude now because I'm having a bad day. And if my day's not bad enough, then I'll make yours bad too. And now we can hook up together. What? How are you going to prosper? What kind of ability do you have? What kind of attitude do you have? When you think about people like Job, he didn't have a bad attitude. But he had a lot of stuff go wrong in his life. It's our responsibility to make choices and influence about our belief and our trust in God. And sure, you can go your own way. Go. You can go your own way. Some have, and we know it. But where do people go, and why do they go away? I'm curious about that. Why is the seat next to you empty? Where is that person? I met a man in church many years ago who was just on fire for the Lord. And um, he, was, he was part of our congregation for quite a few years. And I talked to him one day, and I said, you know, well, how did you get to Christ? And he said, you know, I was a cholo, and I was hanging out in East San Jose, and me and my cholo brothers, we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. And then one of them started coming to cathedral, and I came with him. And God got me. Amen. And I said, well, where's your friend that brought you? That was on fire for God that told you that you needed Jesus and brought you here. He says, you know, the sad thing is, is he brought me here. And after a couple of years, he went away. He said, but I stayed. I stayed part of the church, and he did. He did until, until the time that he passed away, but he was a part of the church. Somebody else had brought him. Where do people go? Why do they go away? Because the going gets tough? When the going gets tough, what happens? What happens when the going gets tough? Ah, so you think so. So you think that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's what they say in the world. Sorry. That's not what happens. When the going gets tough, the tough stick it out. The tough endure. They recognize the heat. They recognize the pressure. They recognize that heat and pressure is the only thing that's going to take a wrinkle out. I ironed my shirt tonight. Heat and pressure are the only things that are going to take it out. When the going gets tough... The tough stick it out, the, the tough stick through it, the, stuff, the tough let God do it through them. Recognize this. Yes, it is heat, that's uncomfortable, and pressure that get wrinkles out. That's really uncomfortable. Recognize this. It's a hammer that uses itself to pressure through a nail to keep a wall secure. That's uncomfortable. And is it not the air pressure in a tire that gets checked? Oh, and if the pressure is low, you think that's a good thing? No. You put more pressure in the tire for what? Better performance. So when the going gets tough, the tough need to stick it out. The tough need to endure it. 
The tough need to keep going. The tough need to realize that it's air pressure, that it's wrinkles, that it's a hammer. The tough need to know that God is doing his work in you and he will not stop until he has fully completed his work. The tough keep going because when your pressure is low and you need it to be a higher performance in your car, you're going to put more pressure in there. Am I right? Philippians 1.6 says this, he who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That happened to Job. He had a real rough day. He lost all seven of his children, his wife, his house, everything was gone. His livelihood, everything was gone. The messengers just kept coming. The going was getting really, really tough. But he stuck it out. And you know why we know about Job, who was one of the central figures in the Bible? Because he had some pretty tough days. He had a real rough day. He had a real rough time because the pressure kept coming and it kept coming. The bad news just would not stop. You ever been there when you think, when is this going to stop? What else can go on? How much more of this can I take? But when you realize that God is in it, he's getting the wrinkles out. He's getting higher performance from you. And that's what the enemy is afraid of. He doesn't want you to have more pressure so that you get higher performance, a higher performance and a greater, deeper love for the Lord. He'll tell you, uh-uh, you know, you tried this stuff, but you need to get out. And if, if God were God, then this wouldn't be happening. He would be telling you all these lies, but they are lies. They are lies from the pit of hell. The devil is a liar and the father of all lies, right? So we need to know that when the going gets tough, don't worry about the situations that you're not in control of because he has a plan for your life. Align yourself with Jesus and stay in line. Don't let adverse situations get you down because you know what? When I look down... The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, seven times he gets up. And you know why he gets up seven times? Because when he's down, he sees this nail-scarred hand reaching down to pick him up. And he knows that nail-scarred hand held to the cross, not by the nails. Jesus held himself to the cross the exact circumstance and situation that you're going through that you think is just too tough to get through. He's already gone through it. He held himself to the cross, and now his nail-scarred hand will pick you up and pull you up and pull you to him and keep you close and hold you and say, I got you, I got you, and I got this. You see, it's his divine power that gives us everything that we need. Everything. Everything that we need comes from God. And through these things, he's given us his very precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith. You see, it's not lost on me that some people are here tonight because it's their season. 
The way I grew up, this was Ash Wednesday. Before I came to Christ, I grew up as a Catholic. And we had to go get our ashes on Ash Wednesday. And we had to go decide what we were going to give up for 40 days. And, you know, you grow up that way. But granted, I didn't care for that stuff growing up. I was a little girl. I wanted to watch cartoons on Saturday. I didn't want to go to catechism. Fred Flintstone was more important to me. But some of you are here tonight because you know it's Ash Wednesday, or rather it's the beginning of Lent. And praise God that you're here. And you're struggling in your mind, do I give up bread or chocolate? Ah, I'm not sure. And that's okay to do, because the whole point of giving these things up, like Jesus was in the desert for those 40 days. That's where that, the, the, the fasting part comes from, is the 40 days. It's an emblem, symbol, symbolism of that. It's to say, God, I need you. And so I want to fast so that while I'm fasting, I'm getting closer to you. And I'm putting away something that's very important to me, whether it's bread or chocolate, but when you think about it, you think, I'm doing this for a reason. Because I want to get closer to Christ. Because I want, to, I want to have prosperity in my life. So it's not lost on me that tonight is the beginning of Lent. And so while you're trying to figure out if you're giving up bread or chocolate or soda or running or whatever it is, let me tell you something about the Word of God. The Word of God says to add to your faith. So I want to challenge you during these next 40 days to add to your faith. It's one thing to give things up. There's nothing wrong with that. That's all right. But add to your faith. The Bible says to add to your faith. See, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us to his glory and goodness. And through these things, he has given us his very great promises that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness, and mutual affection for one another. For if you possess these qualities, increasing by the measure of them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you'll have prosperity. You'll have prosperity in your life because you'll be using God's word to guide you, to direct you. This is your guide. This is your map. If you need to know where to go, then you get your Bible. And it's okay if you don't have the chisel and hammer or paper Bible anymore. Pull up an app on your phone. Stay in the word of God, because God's word says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's what you need to use to guide and direct you. So I want to encourage you to prosper in the fullness of life that we're supposed to have in Christ. Get back in church and stay here and make yourself available to God. Follow Jesus' examples and use the word to defeat Satan. Use the word to console. Use the word to heal. Use God's word to bless. God said my people perish for lack of knowledge. 
And you're not prospering if you're perishing. So say this, stand with me, please. And say this with me. We're not giving away ashes tonight. I want you to do something very personal to yourself. Put your hands over your heart and say this with me. God wants me to prosper. And I will prosper in my ability, in abundance, in my attitude, in my walk, and in my faith. My God is a good God. And I am growing closer to him and away from the attractions of the world. God, I need you. I know you're here. I accept you. And I love you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You are an element of prosperity because you are of God.